during treatment, what was Liam like? Oh, he was he, a fighter. And, and I know, obviously, we're haymakers. Everyone says that, but, but uh, that, we said that before we even knew about it. Sounds weird to say. He made the process so easy on all of us. My wife and I, his nurses, his doctors. He just went in with a, like, every day is a good day attitude. And, and again, he's a year and a half to, to three, four years old. Like, had, always had a smile on his face. Always his, his nurses and his doctors, he called them his, their best, his best friends, right? He always showed up every single hospital visit. He was a superhero. We either had him in a superhero t-shirt or a superhero sweatshirt. And so he got, he was known as, as he was always our little superhero. So there's a lot that I'm, I've incorporated into sort of my fighting style, my, my thing that'll, that'll say, you know, I want to be his hero, just like he was for us. Cause he just made it, you know, he was just such a little fighter going, going through it. From Haymakers for Hope, this is not every fight ends at the bell. Haymakers for Hope exists to knock out cancer the only way we know how. Fighting for a cure through charity boxing. Thanks to generous supporters and more than 1,200 ass-kicking do-gooders, Haymakers has raised over $25 million for cancer research, care, awareness, and survivorship. But the March Towards a Cure continues long after the last bell of each event. I'm Julie Kelly. I'm Todd Buster Paris. We know firsthand because we are not just your hosts, we are also survivors. On this podcast, we will highlight the stories of fighters, survivors, organizations, and supporters. Not every fight ends at the bell. Round one. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast, Billy Collins. It is great having you here, so thanks very much for agreeing to do this. Todd, Julie, thank you so much for the invite. I'm excited to get to be a part of it as well. How did you hear about Haymakers? I was introduced to an an alumni of Haymakers last year, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Morris Barron fought in Haymakers 10. His daughter, Ava, went to school with my son. I had just gone through her treatment for her kidney cancer, and it was, hey, (laughs) you're a cancer family, they're a cancer family, you guys should should be introduced, and uh, a friendship was immediately born, and um, you know, Morris was very excited about, uh, you know, his upcoming bout. And I just said, man, that sounds incredible. I'd love to learn more. And he's like, well, Hey, next year you can sign up and, uh, I'll keep it, you know, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk through, uh, as it gets closer and you know, brings us to where we are today. Where are you training out of? I'm training out of Mendez in Harlem. Julie and I were discussing earlier, too long a story, but I worked down in Midtown and uh, Henry de Leon was incredible as part of Haymakers, helping us as fighters to try to find the right fit for a gym. And he and I went around to five or six. They were all wonderful. They, they were local, but it just, I don't know, something about it didn't fit. And uh, he's like, well, I got one more. There's one up in Harlem. It was uh, Mendez was a huge supporter of Haymakers until, uh, unfortunately, Mr. Mendez passed away in 2020. And his son reopened the gym. It was always his dad's dream to have a gym up in Harlem. And so Frankie Jr. opened it up there. And so jumped on the uh, subway, went all the way up to 125th Street and Lenox and walked in. And that was, you know, now it wasn't the first time I'd been in the gym since I'd been to five or six previously the day before, but walked in and it just had a feel and aura just between how, how Frankie approached, talked about his gym, met a couple of the boxers, uh, met a couple of the trainers and it just was all auto- automatically said that's, that's the right spot. So 
with no experience came very quick experience and, and felt like they, the, the right fit. So when you say with no experience came very quick experience, what do you mean by that? I walked in on a Friday, signed up, uh, did the membership, and by Saturday um, was uh, lacing up the gloves for the first time to, to start working out. No kidding. And six days a week, religiously, uh, I am a uh, visitor to, to Mendez. So what are your, especially I hear stories about Mendez boxing, any of the locations that they've been at. There's always this romance around when people train. I've heard stories of people that train first thing in the morning, people that train in the evening. What what time are you training? That was one of the, the parts I thought before I actually knew the, the kind of, it took a little bit of a different approach. A lot of the gyms had where they had introductory classes where you could go and they were scheduled at either 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, et cetera. And you went and you took part in classes and they taught you how to, you know, throw a punch or how to defend yourself, hit the bag. And then you would get set up with a trainer and then you would work in the personal side of the training. Mendez was incredibly unique in the fact that they have a trainer on the floor from the time they open to the time they close. And in most cases, multiple trainers, many of them are actually working with their fighters, preparing their fighters, those that are either amateur or in certain cases, professionals that are working out there. But they always have a trainer for anybody who wants to walk in. And during that time, you can just kind of fall into what the routine is. So because I've got two little kids, work full time, my schedule varies based on when I can, quote unquote, make it to the gym, always will make it. But it just depends on when I can. And no matter what, I'm always taken care of, always looked after. And we have the ability to uh, to, to train for any time they're open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Who are you training with right now? Right now, I'm with uh, Coach Popeye and uh, Alex, but everyone knows him as, as Popeye. And the way it works is Popeye's there and, and, and if available, he and I will train together. But because of family obligations, work obligations, should I have to go at a later time where Popeye's not, any of the trainers that are on the floor um, have, are able to jump right in and help. And, and, and that's what's really cool, not only just because uh, I'm participating in Haymakers for Hope, that's just how the gym operates. What has been so far during your four-month training journey? What has been the most rewarding and what has been the most challenging? Oh, I'd actually say it's kind of one and the same. The rewarding and challenging is being able to do it, right? And having never boxed before, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. The rewarding, I think, has been just the amount I've learned, not only just in terms of here's the right technique to throw a jab or here's the right way to defend you know, a punch, more just the overall, there's so much more to boxing than I ever knew, right? It was, you, you either hit or get hit, right, is what I thought going in. And Papa always referred to it as, it's a chess match. Right. Not only are you moving as a piece, whether you're a pawn taking one step forward or a step back, or you're the king that can take several steps, or you're the rook that's circling, you know, the opponent. I mean, we we get that technical, which is really cool. It's also just understanding the the different you know ways of fighting, whether it be you being aggressive up front, but trying to also you know sustain your stamina or your energy, or how you can counter what your opponent does, and how that might change your mindset as what you were approaching going into a fight and. Uh, you know, I've been able to learn a lot of it because Mendez is, they do a lot of sparring, which was another thing that I like. The drills are great and, and, and you have to learn the fundamentals of the sport. But where I find myself, where I learn best is just getting in between the ropes and, and actually experiencing it firsthand. 
And Mendez does an incredible job of every Tuesday and Thursday, you know, you can do more, but Tuesdays and Thursdays are, are, are typically, you know, where, uh, where sparring nights or sparring days. And so, you know, you're going to be able to go in and, you know, it's organized sparring and they put you with the right kind of opponents to, for you to learn and get what you need out of it. But you're actually getting to go in and experience that one-on-one, you know, where you can kind of take what you learn from the drills and say, okay, in real life, here's how, here's how you implement it. So that's been, I think, the most rewarding, the most challenging is having to learn all of it, you know, within 100 days from the time I laced yeah. them up to the time of the fight. There's a lot to learn, a lot to figure out in real time, you know, but in, in preparation for uh, for fight night. Yeah, sure. I mean, with boxing, whether you're brand new or a seasoned vet, there's very high highs and very low lows. So just kind of ride those waves. Just ride them. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, to sign up to be one of our ass-kicking do-gooders, visit haymakersforhope.org. Round two. You had mentioned previously you heard about Haymakers through a friend of mine, actually. I don't know if you know that Maurice, also known as Moss Barron. I've probably known Moss 15 years. He and I, back in the day, used to punch each other in the face down at Trinity Boxing. Hi, well, I hope you took it easy now. on them. <laughs> I remember one day he said something about, yeah, you hit me with three straight rights. I said, well, you should have moved your goddamn head. Nobody should hit you with three straight rights. <laughs> but fortunately, you two have forged this wonderful friendship, but unfortunately over your children. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about your son and your motivation, your connection to the cause and why you're stepping in the ring? Absolutely. So my son, my little guy, Liam, and essentially when he was a year and a half old, very suddenly he was diagnosed with leukemia. This is right in the start of roughly the start of the pandemic in May of 2020. He developed a, a bug bite and we thought an associated rash. And three or four days after that bug bite started to become a little bit more infected and wasn't as it should be. Now, we didn't take him immediately to this pediatrician because it was the pandemic. So everyone was kind of sheltered in place. But luckily, we called the doctor and said, hey, can we do a video screen? His pediatrician, Dr. Kelly Smith, is all about pediatrics. He listened to what the nurse had taken down and said, no, I'd like to see them. So my wife and I went in just to, to try to wrangle a one-and-a-half-year-old to keep on a mask and everything else at the pediatrician. We both were there. And the nurse uh, took a couple of tests. The, the, the doctor came in, did a couple things, and she brought in an extra chair. Um, sorry. A little choked up and basically said, uh, it's a little more serious than we think. I think your son has leukemia. We're going to send you to the hospital. The pandemic, one of you needs to figure out who's going to be able to stay. But I've, I've seen this once before in my, uh, my tenure. And I think that's what it is. And, uh, within a couple of hours, he was diagnosed and he began his journey of about three years. But now we just celebrated. Two weeks ago, his uh, him being cancer-free and treatment-free going through it all. So this was uh, a lot transpired for that. Uh, we, we, still, we were in Texas at the time. Uh, we, we lived there. In the middle of the pandemic, we, we switched uh, and moved up to New York. We switched his oncologist, his treatments uh, from one hospital to the next. Everyone was, was incredible. And, you know, he's one of the, we know, the fortunate ones who's cancer-free and has been for the past year. I'm very happy to hear that he's doing all right. Pediatrics are near and dear and close to my heart through family and friends. And it's such an awful disease. There's something that is, you know, as people get older, we kind of accept that it happens. And when it's kids, it just shouldn't. With that said, is there, in terms of a beneficiary, are you 
particularly fighting in support of a institution or nonprofit or anything like that that you would you'd like to like to talk about an involvement with? That's one of the other things I love about Haymakers when as I was learning more about you know what you guys do is you guys allow fighters to name their own beneficiaries, which obviously there are a lot of organizations that raise money for a lot of incredible causes. Cancer is one of them, but this is one where it's personal. So I am fortunate enough to raise money for the two hospitals where Liam was treated, Dallas Children's Health, where he was, again, diagnosed and treated for uh, about a year and a half, almost two years. And then when we moved up here, we transferred his care to New York Presbyterian Hospital. Uh, it ended up that uh, you know his oncologist in Texas had done some joint work with the oncolo- an oncologist here at Presby. So there was a relationship there, and we transitioned or transferred his care. Uh, and they, again, did a, just a, a fantastic job of, of continuing the treatment and getting him to where you know, he was cancer-free. And then the last one is a charity that my family has been involved in for 35-plus years. It just so happens to be a charity that is focused on providing what essentially was a camp, a week-long camp for kids with cancer in the what initially was a Washington, D.C. area where I was born and raised, and, and now has expanded more nationally. We got involved with them two years after they started. We were intimately involved in a number of aspects, but I think most we did a golf tournament where we raised money every single year that went directly to Camp Fantastic, which is the, the signature program, Special Love, the charity. And my parents did that for 25 years. My friends and I took over and ran it for 10 years, except uh, we the last one we did was in uh, 2020. Because of the pandemic, I was living in Texas. I couldn't travel. We did a virtual kind of get-together. But then in, with Liam's treatment, it just became too difficult in 2021 and to, to, to try to continue it. And it, I hated that. I didn't like that it had to stop. And so the fact that I could kind of pick back up in now 2023 and get back to, to raising money, especially because we always during the golf tournament had a family that came and spoke to the participants just so you know, you, it was it was great to get to go out and you know chase a little white ball around and eat, drink, and be merry. But we did never wanted to forget why we were raising the funds and what it was for. And so we always had a family that came, and the children spoke or the parents spoke just about how important that camp was to their family. And and then now all the other programs that Special Love offers, they do things for the brothers and sisters, they do things for the parents, you know, because. Cancer affects a family, and it's not just the, the, the person who's diagnosed and is getting the treatment. It affects the family all the way across. And so we always sat and listened to it, got a little emotional as you're you know, sitting in your polo uh, listening, but all of a sudden it became much more real when, when my son was diagnosed. And I hated that we, had a, we stopped, so I couldn't be happier that you guys have allowed me to raise funds and get back into being able to put, uh, you know, funds towards and awareness towards, you know, just what has been such a special, special charity to us as a family and all those that it's helped. That's, that's incredible. And also one thing I want to say, especially cancer is very much a family disease and even more so when it is pediatric cancer, it takes a huge toll, not just on the child who is sick, but also siblings and parents. So I think it's great that you can continue to Camp Fantastic going because it is something special that I th- we think that the kids need. I'm excited for you to be able to continue that. So what does Liam think of your boxing? 
you know, it, it's one of those he they, they 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 where's dad going is a question that gets asked all the time. Or hey, dad, are you going to boxing? Because there's there's been a lot of time spent spent out of the household, but they I think they they understand and appreciate it. They both know my both my my. So Liam has an older sister, Brennan, who's seven. Liam is uh, just about to turn five, and they know the answer the phone. Right, you gotta get your you gotta answer the phone. Uh, was what, what Popeye taught. So when we go and we we play around, or they ask what what I've learned, I'll say, all right, here, let me show you. Make sure you answer the phone. And so they put their hands up in in their defensive position. So. Brennan takes karate, so she's always wanting to show me her karate moves versus my, my boxing style. And Liam is a uh, you know just always uh, wants to run around, and you know there is no defense for Dad. Liam's going to be throwing all kinds of combinations as a wild man. So I'm just glad I don't have to step in the ring with either one of them. That's for sure. <laughs> During treatment, what was Liam like? Oh, he was he, a fighter. And I know, obviously, we're haymakers. Everyone says that, but but uh, that we said that before we even knew about it. He made sounds weird to say. He made the easy the process so easy on all of us. My wife and I, his nurses, his doctors. He just went in with a like every day is a good day attitude. And and again, he's a year and a half to, to three four years old. Like had always had a smile on his face. Always his his nurses and his doctors. He called them his their best his best friends. I'm sure they treated every patient as if they were his favorite, but we always felt like he was just because of the care that mm-hmm. they gave. And then and just that was just Liam's Liam's personality. He always showed up every single hospital visit. He was a superhero. We either had him in a superhero t-shirt or a superhero sweatshirt. And so he got he was known as as he was all, always our little superhero where he had his medical port put in. We told him that was his superhero badge when he was asking what it was or what his sister. And so we've always kind of talked about, you know, him being our little superhero. And there's a lot that I'm, I, I've incorporated into sort of my fighting style, my thing that'll, that'll say, I want to be his hero, just like he was for, for, for us. Cause he just made it, he was just such a little fighter going, going through it and never cried, never said, I don't want to go to the hospital, never fought, you know, an IV being put into the nurses were like, I've never seen a kid just literally look and say, can I help put the, push the tube in to be able to get, take the blood draw? He just did it and did it with a smile and said, okay, what's next? How did his sister handle things? And did you have to have a special conversation with her? Again, because of our association with Camp Fantastic, luckily we knew a little bit about the impact that it can have you know, on a sibling. So my wife and I were, were very cognizant of that. It also happened that because of the pandemic, only one parent could go or be at the hospital. So we were able to sort of divide and she got her her time with one of us because one of us had to be home and the other one had to be in hospital. So in a weird way, that did kind of help where it wasn't both of us at the hospital and Brennan having to be with a, you know, a neighbor or a friend or a family member. At least one of her parents was there. You know, I don't know. We never used the word cancer with her. We just said, you know, that her brother was sick and that we needed to take care of them. Again, because it because it was during the time of the pandemic, she was aware of germs and things like that. So we talked a lot about having to keep her brother healthy. And especially like when we moved to New York, she wore a mask every day to school, even though they, they didn't. And we just said, we have to do that because we want to make sure your brother stays healthy. We want to make sure your brother doesn't catch any germs. And, you know, when you asked her teacher, Hey, is she doing it? They're like, yeah, without hesitation. So she just kind of took it upon herself to say, hey, mom and dad are keeping my brother healthy. I want to do the same thing. But I think that's really all that she knew. 
and really understood. And we kind of preferred to keep it that way, right? Just know that her brother needed to be taken care of. He was going to fight, come through it. We were going to the, the, the doctor visit, the hospital visits, because that's what was necessary. And when he was good, everything was going to go back to normal. And thank God it has. I know he's only five, but does he realize what he's been through? Does he know he had cancer? No. Does he know that he's special in the fact that he's got to go to his doctor appointments? That Yes. To the point where we would go by the hospital, he says, oh, am I going to see my friend Marlise, his PA? Or, hey, am I going? There were a couple times where he had a fever and you had to get admitted to the emergency room. And it was at the same location as, and he would, he would say, am I going to the good doctor or the bad doctor? Not bad doctor, but just obviously going into ER is a little scarier for a young kid versus going and seeing his friends up in you know pediatric oncology. So he grasped a little bit of what was going on, but I know we're near to the sense of just how lucky and how blessed he is that he was able to, to be treated, be in remission and be cancer-free. I don't think, I mean, we never really kind of focused on that. We just said, Liam, these are, this is what you have to do. And keep doing it like the, the little hero that you are. We've talked to parents before whose children have had cancer. And I'm always wondering about the parents that are listening, that they're experiencing this for their very first time, their son, their daughter, they just found out have cancer. What advice would you give to someone who's just about to, to find this out? Oh, man. The internet can be a rabbit hole. Careful what you search. I say that because... Again, we were in this pandemic. We were between our four walls. It was just my wife and I. We, we just were told the diagnosis. One of us was in the hospital, but we were trying to figure all these things out. And you can Google anything. And it doesn't apply to your situation. You've got to rely on your medical professionals. A, you got to find ones that you trust. Got to develop that relationship where it is an open dialogue, an open conversation, because you're making decisions on behalf of someone else, your your child. And many times these decisions come up where you might not have all the information, but you got to get it. You got to be able, feel comfortable in the decisions that you make. Liam was asked to be a, a part of a couple of clinical trials where. In a couple of hours, we had to make a decision because of his next procedure. He either could be a part of it or he couldn't. And so having that team of medical professionals that you trust, that you, you have, can have a conversation with, that's where you're going to get your information. Because if you go down the rabbit hole of, of Googling things or even talking to other parents, we did that a little bit in the beginning as we were just trying to figure things out. But I'll say for at least my wife and I, that was a little bit more difficult. And I know the, the, the individual we spoke with had every good intention, but she was telling us some scary things and some horror stories. And we just felt like, you know what? That might not be Liam's situation. I'd rather not know and have to worry about what could come in month six or a year or two years down the road. Like, let's, we just wanted to sort of take it day by day, have my wife and I just to talk about, you know, what we thought was best, refer to the medical professionals and go from there. So, that would be the one. And the other thing is as a couple, you guys have to communicate. Again, you have different emotions. You have different ways of handling you know, news, handling situations. And my wife and I, like, we're not the same people, but that's what makes us an incredible partnership. And we were able to, I could lean on her at times when I needed to, she could lean on me, but we had to communicate. We had to you know, say what we were feeling and what, you know, whether it be the anxiety or whether it be the confidence. You know, sometimes it was just, hey, he's going to be okay right? Where one of us had to take that role versus the other. Those would be the two things. Rely on your, your medical team, 
trust your medical team and have open dialogue and communication with your spouse or partner as you're to take care of your child because that's what's most important. And it sounds like from the get-go, you really were just in great hands. I mean, you had mentioned previously when you first went in about the bug bite and that physician said that they had seen it one time before. It's incredible thinking because was it truly a bug bite? And then- Yeah, I was going to say- like you cannot get cancer from a bug bite. So let's no, just, right. <laughs> let's no, but sure I'm we, saying... we do that. that <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. He did get a bug bite in his sandbox, mm-hmm. but because he had a no immune system, because the cancer had already started taking an impact, the bug bite got more infected because he didn't have the antibodies to fight and it. And then caused a rash. The rash was, act, the... was actually petechiae, which sure. is a condition of leukemia. So we thought the rash was associated with the bug bite. It just happened to start at his legs and work its way up. So we mm-hmm. said, oh, the rash was a cause from the bug bite. So it had nothing to do with right. the other. But thank goodness, without the bug bite, I don't think without the bug bite getting affected, we would have decided to go to the doctor when we did. Mm-hmm. And you know, our doctor, I don't know how the initial case that she dealt with, how it ended up. I hope it went went well because if it wasn't for that, because everyone in the emergency room when we was when he was getting tested at Dallas Children said, "Well, what are you here for?" And we said, "Well, we think it's how did you know that?" Well, our pediatrician told it. He's not exhibiting any of the signs. Sure. Usually, it could be months of treatments, month or not treatments, excuse me, tests and all of that. They're like, "You have an amazing pediatrician that she identified it and she said she she saw the rash, she saw uh, one or two bruises he had had, and so where there wasn't clotting, and then she fe- said she felt his liver, and it seemed a little more inflamed, which my understanding is it's difficult to do that, especially for a little kid to know the difference between the normal. Mm. But those three things, she said, I'm gonna, I, I need to send you right away. So we, 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 we thank her every day. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, Liam sounds like just a great, great kid. I, I'm dying to know. <laughs> Aside from you, who's his favorite superhero? Depends on the day. Top three yeah. are 100% Spider-Man, Superman, and the Incredible Hulk. Kids got and, good taste. Uh, now, those are a superhero. But, but Todd, what's funny is he loved the bad guys, right? The, in, in, in the little Spider-Man, he loved Rhino. <laughs> he loved Dr. Ock. And it drove my wife crazy because for Christmas or birthdays, she wanted to get him his favorite characters. They don't make a lot of the bad guys as the villains. Yeah. as so. She scoured the internet and was able to find some, but yeah, so he's, uh, we always said when he was being good, he dressed as Spider-Man, Superman, or, or the Hulk. When he was being naughty, yeah, we threw him in a Doc Ock or a, uh, a Rhino shirt That's that awesome. didn't fit the mold. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. Did you know there's more to Haymakers than just boxing? We also have opportunities for you to lace up your sneakers and run a marathon with Team Haymakers. Or grab your clubs and play in one of our golf tournaments. Visit haymakersforhope.org for more. Round three. Let's jump ahead a little bit. So we're looking at November 2nd at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York. First of all, that's a big deal. The Hammerstein Ballroom, that's a boxing venue. How are you feeling about fight night? You can't come soon enough. Although I'm glad it's 30 days, there's still, you know, or, or, you know, I'm glad that there's still time, let's put it that way, because uh, there's still a lot to learn, right? But I'm excited. I think the idea of getting to have that culmination of the work that you put in, getting others to see the work you know that you put in, I, I've posted more than I ever had in social media. I didn't even have necessarily a, an Instagram account before I started this. So I've tried to share it, but just 
between friends, family, loved ones where you're like, all right, Hey, I'm in the gym or, Hey, I can't go do this because I got to go to the gym. Sort of getting to see that culmination of all the hard work that's put in, hopefully with my, my hand raised at some point to, you know, through the night. But even if not just to see the culmination and the hard work say, okay, for the hundred days, this is what I was working towards from a physical standpoint, from a boxing standpoint, and then just looking around and, and hopefully Haymakers is able to say a very large number that was raised, you know, was the other part of, of all of the hard work. And then just the awareness, the fact that, you know, over 2000 people will be in attendance, both to cheer on their fighters, but the night is about raising awareness for what we're all there for. Fighting's great. The boxing's great. But again, it's a much bigger cause than anyone who steps into the ring and, and, and getting to, to have that to be a, part, be a part of that is what I'm most excited for. And being where you're at now, just like a sneeze away from fight night, someone who's listening now that's about to embark on this four-month journey and they're, they're getting ready to go, what advice would you give to them? What one thing would you tell them? That can be different to any different. Get enough sleep. Take care of your body. Listen to your body, right? Uh, if, if you feel like you're supposed to spar, but, but something hurts, if you get injured and you can't box, you know, a couple of weeks away, that'd be horrible. I couldn't imagine. And I tried and, you know, not hope knock on wood, not jinx it, but to take care of yourself, you can't skip, you got to go, you got to do, do the work, listen to your coach. They will know when's the right time to, to go hard versus pull back a little bit and you know maybe just focus on your your cardio as opposed to maybe taking punches at, at that time. Um, but but take care of your body, take care of yourself uh, because you still have time until fight night that, that, that you got to step into that ring and be ready for it. You guys have already raised, I think you're over six hundred thousand dollars right now. So that's an impressive amount of, impressive. of money that is going to make a massive massive impact on a lot of people's lives. So we're really looking forward to you fighting on November 2nd. And do you have any teammates at Mendez? I know that there's always people in Mendez because there's different times you can go in and different trainers, but is there anyone specifically that's also going through Haymakers that you train with? I've got two incredible individuals that are training at Mendez with me. Uh, one of them, Stephen Dunbar, he and I do a lot of training together. We do a lot of sparring. He's been part of the Haymakers family because his wife, Jackie, is also an alumni. She fought before he, she and Steven had met, so he was aware of it. And then I got a little bit of a sneak preview as I was thinking of joining. Frankie's sister, Luz, is fighting. And it's special because this is the first time since Francisco passed away that Mendez is back being a part of Haymakers uh, as, as training. So when I found that out from Frankie Jr., it just made it that much more special to say, okay, the first inaugural of Mendez Harlem being a part of, of Haymakers. Uh, I like the fact that my name could be one of the three fighting out of that gym this year. So uh, Luz, Steven, and myself uh, will be uh, will be representing Mendez. Julie, yeah, it's important to have brothers and sisters in boxing when you're in the gym and they're going through the same thing as you. Fight night will be very emotional for me. Francisco is my trainer. I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I've known Luz and Frankie since they were kids. I mean, they're still kind of kids now, but <laughs> they're, you know, in their 20s. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be special. And one of the other things about Mendez is they were the, it's a family, right? And, and I was brought into the family. They support their fighters. They've had three professional fights since, since I've been there. 
we've gotten tickets. We've gone. I was a guest of Frankie's at the first one. I think it was like my first week. He's like, hey, would you like to come? Give you a kind of a sense of it. And there were probably 30 or so uh, of, from Mendez that were in attendance supporting Andy Dominguez, who trained there and is now, you know, 10 and 0 as a professional fighter. They had a couple of the trainers that uh, last weekend went and fought. And the gym closed a little bit early, so everybody could go and make it and support. And I anticipate the same thing at the Hammerstein Ballroom, just being able to look up and not only seeing my friends and family from my network, but my new family of Mendez supporters, uh, you know, uh, it will, will be double special to, to be able to look in either direction and see that support. Julie, that's got to be super special for you. Yeah. You know, you run the thing. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but I could only, you know, Francisco... He was my guy. Right. I can't explain it. I was very lucky to get him in my life and in my boxing journey to be as lucky to have him as my coach and to have stayed as connected to Frankie and Luz in Teresita as I have. So I'm really looking forward to uh, forward to fight night. I'm looking forward to supporting every fighter. You guys have just worked so hard and it's really great to be able to talk to you to really find out what it is that has made you decide to do this because boxing is really not easy. And to, to learn a sport as difficult as boxing on top of your work, on top of your family, fundraising, it's really challenging. And to watch 32 people put something extra on their plate and keep going is really inspiring. So thank you for doing all that you are doing. Um, I wish, I wish I can continue to do more because it, it is, it is incredibly special. Billy, how can people donate to you? There's still time before your fight. If someone wants to donate and help your cause, how do they do that? They can go to Haymakers for Hope website, go to events. And obviously, I'm fighting or Hope NYC 11. Then there's an opportunity to click on my fighters page, uh, which you then can donate as an individual. Or one of the things I'm really trying to drive over the next four weeks is uh, on the corporate sponsorship side. I've been incredibly blessed with the support of my friends, family, and network, but but I really want to try to drive a little bit more from a, a corporate sponsorship donations. Haymakers does a great job of making a, a, the night special for, for those that, that do come in at that level, whether it be a table, whether it be ringside, all the rest. So that's where I'm trying to focus my attention. I feel confident of being able to achieve the goal that I set out from a, from a monetary standpoint, but I would love to blow past it. And, and to be able to do so, I think, you know, having some of those larger donors, larger sponsors is, is where I want to try to focus to get to that next level. If you are interested in attending the event on November 2nd at the Hammerstein Ballroom, there are a limited number of tickets still available. Please visit haymakersforhope.org. You can purchase tickets through there. There will also be a link here in the show notes for you to check to. We'd love to see you support Billy and the rest of the Haymakers for Hope, Hope NYC crew on November 2nd at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Billy Collins. Billy, thank you so much for being here today. It was great meeting you. Liam, give him love from Julie and I. Just fantastic kid, fantastic story. And really, thank you for being here today. Now, thank you guys for having me. And Julie, thank you for starting just, you know, you and Andrew starting just such an incredible organization. And you, know, you guys are helping just an infinite amount of, of people with, with all that you've done. Thank you. I'm just along for the ride. I just, I'm lucky I get to sit shotgun, honestly. You're driving. Keep going. <laughs> Let's all go to a great destination. We appreciate everything. Thanks, guys. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We're grateful for your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the podcast and tell a friend. 
To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, sign up to fight to KO cancer, visit haymakersforhope.org. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented and produced by Haymakers for Hope in partnership with Studio Pod Media. Our producers are former fighters Jordan McMillan and Julian Lewis. I'm Julie Kelly. And I'm Todd Buster Paris. You've been listening to Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell. 